Podcast 65, Deviating from the Norm, Part 2. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, so we're moving into part two of I don't know how many <laughs> of of deviating from deviation. <laughs> you're such a deviant. I, 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 extra deviant, extra, or, extra. Or you're special. <laughs> something. I'm something. I'm something. Right. Uh, but but before I get, I, I want to just say that uh, boy, we ate these uh, these kale chips. Now I'm, I'm normally not a big fan of greens, nor am I, especially not kale. Boy, there's one thing that generally tastes damn nasty to me is kale. But uh, boy, those kale chips were so I ate too many. I'm I'm stuffed. And, and when you say that they're crunchy, I was expecting like, well, kale is crunchy because every it's just that's just the way kale is. It's like uh, some sort of super food that's got like you know but but it wasn't that kind of crunchy it was crunchy like a potato chip crunchy mm-hmm. yeah i i'm surprised that was your first time they're all the rage these days kale chips oh, i want to have some more of those sometime but you know after i'm done being so stuffed so um uh, all right so we were talking about i remember we left off with vegan stuff so so it does seem to me that a lot of people in the permaculture world, the mainstream, the norm, is to be a vegan, and uh, I and so I'm. I'm there, there are a lot. I don't know if that's the norm in permaculture because there are a lot of animal systems in permaculture and a lot of omnivores and paleo diets. So I'm not sure. There's a high percentage. I'm not sure if it's the norm. Good point. Um, Boy, if it's not greater than 50%, it's really close for, for vegans or vegetarians. Right. Um, so, so a lot of permaculture folks are the vegans or vegetarians. Um, but, but, yeah, there's also a lot. I mean, there's a good mix, but it's like uh, more than your average crowd. More, yeah. So. And you're not a vegetarian or a vegan. You're an omnivore. As am I. True, true. All, you know, and as I've expressed in many podcasts in the past, that I have huge respect for the vegans and the vegetarians. I, I believe, you know, and, and, well, from my perspective, they are sacrificing a great deal for what they believe is a noble cause. And and I, I just think, you know, to do right by others, they're doing right by others and making a personal sacrifice. I think that that's awesome. I think that that's fantastic and noble. Um, and uh, a lot of them believe that, that they're doing it for better health benefits, and maybe they are. Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, uh, some people have trouble with the vegan diet, and uh, even even if it really messes them up, they still stick to it because their convictions are so strong. So you're an omnivore because that diet seems the healthiest to you. Yeah, I'd say so. I, You know, I part I, I would say that uh, there have been times that I have eaten a nearly vegan diet because I was around somebody who was a really good vegan cook and um, uh, didn't really feel the need to eat meat. Um, uh, but I would say that in general, most of the stuff I consume has meat just because I'm, I don't know, I'm lazy and that's what's available and that's what I do. Um, but I also don't share the philosophy set 
with that it, it would move me into the world of vegan like like you know fewer deaths and that's something I've made podcasts about before I just have a different philosophy set okay. just clarifying the why there you know there's okay. a difference but um, so here's in the first part we talked we started talking about tip the web and and hate mail and making a positive difference on the internet and here's one way you're different which probably got you the most hate mail do you know what I'm talking about chicken chicken tractors <laughs> that's right that's right mm-hmm. oh man did I get the hate mail for that um And what you did is you published your articles, um, uh, No More Coop and Run, Chickens 2.0 or whatever you titled your article on how to raise chickens in in the most sustainable and the most healthy way for the chickens, right? Yeah, I I post what what were my philosophies on on a better way of raising chickens than the norm. And and a lot of it was just out of the uh, frustration of attempting to express myself. I mean, people would ask for my opinion, but if I couldn't express my opinion in under a minute, they didn't have the patience for it. So then I wrote the full article so I could just say the whole thing. The whole thing is said in one article. And granted, it's a big fucking article. But but there, I said it. I got it out. I said the point I was trying to make. And now it's received you know, really well by a lot of people. But at the same time, and in fact, once I posted the bit about at the beginning about, boy, this article has generated a lot of hostility, then um, uh, uh, all the hostility stopped. I haven't heard any hostility from that article since I posted that. Right. And, And what you pointed out in the article is that the way chicken tractors are often used is not very respectful of the chicken. It, it can be detrimental to the chicken, the way a lot of chicken tractors are used. If you're putting chickens in a chicken tractor where they really don't have enough room and you're leaving them on a space of ground until all the greens are gone, that's just not the best thing to do to a chicken. Well, uh, yeah, it's my opinion, yeah. and uh, I, I think it's disrespectful to the animal and once you cage an animal I think that you take on a bit of responsibility Um, and I I believe that most people when they care for chickens their philosophy is is that they must be doing a good job as long as most of them haven't died and I kind of think that you know there needs to be a, a little bit more than that now granted the survival rate of chickens is probably higher in a cage than it would be in the wild um, you know, with predators and all, but in some people's hand hands, I think that uh, their odds of survival are even lower. Well, you know, considering if they're meat chickens, you're going to harvest them. <laughs> the odds of their survival is really small. Yeah. But uh, um, I I think that uh, there's there's a certain obligations that come with caging an animal. But, but anyway, that's uh, the, the key is the mainstream of permaculture is, is that, in fact, there's a book out there called Chicken Tractors, and it says right on there something about how to have happy chickens, and it, and it says permaculture right on the cover, right. um, you know, and I can't remember the exact title or whatever, but it's kind of like uh, I, I 
deviate from that. I that the norm is chicken tractors. I don't like chicken tractors, so I'm I'm different from the rest of the permaculture world in that respect. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point, a good reminder for anyone. Um, your article has actually been used um, in some permaculture design courses recently. So more and more uh, instructors have wanted more of the critter care component that you that you're knowledgeable on so I think that's kind of cool yeah there's been some of that I, yeah. and and um, I, I've had so many requests for can I print this I started a new thread at Permies about okay if you're going to use my stuff here's my comfort zone yeah. you know so because I get asked so often now I can make a link to that thread yeah that's great um, and speaking of design courses a big part of being a permaculture you know whatever going through the course, being a permaculture designer, is creating a design or a map. Ah, Dave Bainline! So, uh, uh, yes, in the the permaculture design course, they've got a a very specific curriculum that happens in every permaculture design course. And as part of what you're going to do, you're going to draw out a map. And, um, and and a lot of times for a lot of actual permaculture designing, the mission is is that you draw out a map that shows one year later, another map that shows five years later, and another map that shows 20 years later. And, um, and I do think that the perk of this is to give people an idea of what can be. Unfortunately, what oftentimes happens is that people want to do precisely and exactly that, and they will not deviate from that because, you know, that's the gospel. And and I'm so then that worries me that there, and it's like you try you can sit there and you can tell people over and over and over again, and you can change your mind. This is this is what the plan is today. A month from today could be all different plans, really, like really different, okay? And uh, uh, they nod their heads and they still don't get it. So um, uh, I prefer lists. I prefer to make just simple lists of, like, projects and things that can be done and stuff like that. And and occasionally some scrawls on maps are good with the idea that the maps are going to be chucked um, in in favor of newer maps later. Um, But... uh, uh, you know, and and Dave Bainline is um, awesome in this space. He makes great maps and everything. And, and it, uh, he's doing something with Doug Bullock and the Bullock Brothers, and and I, I can't remember what the name of their outfit. Is. Uh, Terra Phoenix Designs. I believe you. I don't know. I, I can't. But I do know they make those books that are so pretty and and full of maps. Well, and I th- I I think that makes sense for someone who's investing a, a lot of money and time and plants in an initial startup. You know, having it all laid out and planned out can really help. Um, and and so they're they're doing some intensive, detailed landscape design. Um, I, I think a lot of permaculturists are homesteaders or on a home scale where they're they're hoping to propagate some plants or add in a few blueberry bushes this year, an apple tree next year, you know. They may not be doing an entire investment at the outset, 
like um, some larger installations. So, and, and when you're doing a little bit here and a little bit there, or following a permaculture principle of observe first, you know, things are going to change. As you observe, you may pick up on some some nuances or some inputs that you didn't realize that, oh, wow, the wind blows here. I didn't re- you know, blows across this corner of the yard in the winter. I didn't really pick up on that at first until I lived here a year, you know. And, and, and so those aspects, I think, will change quite a bit. And if you're doing it little by little and observing as you go, um, a full-scale design might not be that helpful. Anyway, I'm wondering. All right, so what's the next one? Um, Well, this is about um, putting on an event, you know, whether it's a workshop, a convergence, a a PDC, a permaculture design course, um, or, you know, there's a lot of different events that can happen in permaculture circles. Um, And uh, (laughs) you have a few different views for some of these, you know, in putting on the event and in how people pay for the event. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I got involved with the 2000, with last year's Permaculture Convergence, Northwest Permaculture Convergence, which was in Seattle. And and uh, because I knew that my presence was so irritating that I, I tried to take more of a backseat and be less irritating. But then when they needed, I don't know, the structure that I do, then they brought me back in for a couple of little things. But um, I, uh, uh, they, they want to do things like they want to have scholarships, and I don't get the concept of a scholarship, really. I kind of feel like um, there's work trade. I mean, they, all these events always have a work trade option. Like, if you can't afford it, no problem. Show up like a day, a day early and you put to work and you know your time is worth $10 an hour and so when you put in a certain number of hours and you get a free ticket there you go um, but the concept of somebody just showing up and not contributing in any way and they get in for free and, and yet the tickets to get in are like 100 bucks. it's kind of like I don't I don't get that they call it a scholarship I, I don't really I don't I don't understand it, it's you know so um uh, you know, the thing I emphasized was, and then the other thing I, that, that kind of upset me uh, when we were di- going through this, and I'm, we're learning my difference from the normal permaculture world, is that people who present were expected to buy a ticket, but people who did work trade, who worked in the kitchen or something, got a free ticket. And I'm kind of thinking, so manual labor is worth more than, you know, for some people, than the intellect in order to be able to put together the presentation is drawing people there to, to, to do it. Um, and so I'm, I wasn't okay with that. I felt like anybody, and in fact, this was the, the thing that I kept saying was that I think, which I think was different from what most of the other people thought, 
I think that anybody who gives two presentations should get a free ticket. And, um, I mean, if they give one presentation, maybe give them a half-price ticket. But I kind of think, you know, there's a certain number of hours that go into the prep, and then there's, of course, the time that you're giving it. You're not getting to go to another presentation. Well, I, I think in general terms, the way some other permaculture people that we've worked with on different events and things um, just generally have a more social justice focus with the event and and then so some of the rules and some of the specifics like you're talking about with work trade or speakers or things like that some of those get a little squishy and a little skewed um, kind of more in the social justice way than running a professional event do you think? I, I think that that's true. And, um, and, and again, there's a lot of stuff going on in that space that is beyond my comprehension. There's a lot of, uh, you know, and, and um, as much as I study permaculture and, and really think a lot of permaculture and I'm just really enthusiastic about it, there is this whole area that is the mainstream of permaculture that I don't understand. And uh, one of the people expressed, you know what, if somebody shows up and they want to come to the convergence and they don't have any money, I don't want to keep them out. That was something that somebody had said. And so my response was, that's no problem. Here's what you do. You open your wallet, you pull out five 20s, and you give it to them and tell them, there you go, go buy yourself a ticket. You know, I, I just kind of feel like letting somebody in for free is disrespectful to the people that paid to get in. Right. Yeah. And it's disrespectful to the people who worked in order to get in. Yeah. And, and it's just, it doesn't seem, well, I want to use the word fair. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And, you know, having things be right and decent are critically important to me. And maybe this is an area of decency that I cannot seem to comprehend. These, you know, other people have this concept of decency that I can't seem to grok. Well, it just, it's come up more than once, and, and I don't think we need to go into it in more detail here, but it's it's just an interesting, it's an interesting conflict. Did I, did I cover the things that you wanted to cover and the, how I deviate from the permaculture norm? Oh, though, I, we still have more on the list. But I know, but on that particular oh, aspect. Yeah, um, yeah, the, the, the other thing is, it seemed, uh, the only other point we put on the list was sometimes some permaculture events, they seemed um, really okay with doing things more last minute or more casual organization than... Um, right. They're, they're like, oh, well, well, let's put on a, a show for 400 people next month and we'll start getting the speakers lined up and maybe in a couple of weeks we'll get a website up and it's kind of like ah, I can't drive this the other thing is sliding scale you know and, and it's like um, you know basically what sliding scale seems to work out to be is a dummy tax oh the sliding scale is 70 to 100 dollars well everybody just pays 70 bucks you know and the few people that pay 100 bucks then it's like I don't know it's, and then the other thing is like if you pay less than 70 bucks are you saying oh give me charity because I'm a charity case 
you know. It gets difficult. I, I think it's with the best of intentions. And a lot of this stuff has been volunteer-driven, and a lot of volunteers don't have a lot of time, you know. But it's it's it would be nice to have more permaculture opportunities that are run a little more smoothly than than what we've experienced so far. Anyway, um ooh, that was anyway. <laughs> Moving on to um one other thing that where you've been a lot different and that you've received some criticism for is your um forum management and that you censor. Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a dirty stinking censor. Um and and yeah, uh, there's I, I bet you half the people that are active online that are permaculture advocates um avoid my empire because I'm such a stinky loathsome censor. Um and and yeah, and usually how that where this you know comes from is somebody will stand up and say, You're a dumb fuck and I'll say, that's not okay. Don't you dare fucking censor me. That person's a dumb fuck and I can prove it. I don't care if they can prove it or not. You know, I don't think that that's okay. You know, and I'm not going, I don't want to publish that. If you delete what I say, you're a censor. And I'm going to leave and tell everybody what a fucking censor you are. Well, you got to do what you think is right. So I delete their shit, and uh, they take off. They don't ever come back. And, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a dirty censor. But those same people always manage to come back to announce their new event. Uh, they're great to use me as a resource when they need it, but, uh, but no, I'm a dirty censor. Well, I notice a big difference. I'm not... Um, I'm not one of the most active people on the forums, but I notice a big difference when I'm participating in a forum thread when it's pleasant and lovely and people are saying, oh, well, that's a cool idea. I also have this idea. Or, oh, hey, have you ever thought of this? I mean, this is how I think of it. And, you know, and I can see how you think of it that way. And here's this other view, you know, and it's lovely and it's smooth and it's nice. But then when you have someone who responds with a bunch of ick, it's just, you know, you just don't want it keep going it's just you know you just say something innocent and they respond with all their ick I mean who wants to participate in that it's just not pleasant it's not fun so um, I think a lot of people really appreciate that you keep the ick out of the forums and um, keep it more enjoyable and more fun and an information exchange between lovely people and uh, there are people that feel the opposite that that I that they feel that I am suppressing their stuff I'm suppressing their you know the way that they want to express themselves which is hostile and icky so um you know hey uh, and 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 it's like um I choose to have the there's a certain type of discussion that I want to encourage and um the kind that they are pushing is not one of those kinds Okay, moving on down the list, when you were describing uh, some of the objectionable, 
colorful posts on the forums, you were using colorful language. Fuckity fuck, 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 fuckity fuck, fuck. <laughs> I do not fear the full beauty of the English language as others do. I, I do think that probably that's another permaculture norm. I think most of, most of the folks in the permaculture world are sweet, charming, lovely people um, who would never have a foul word cross their lips. And um, their life seems suppressed <laughs> to me. <laughs> so uh, um, I would have to say that if somebody went and wrote a post it's fuckity fuck 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 I probably would delete that but but it's like uh, I don't know it pops up once in a while I, I don't know I, I, I don't have any problem with it well it's funny to me because I think you use swear words more often in the spoken language than in the written language you know because you're you're real careful I think with how you write on the forums and in emails about making sure you know, you're not writing in all caps. <laughs> so, anyway, I, but that's something that some people are uncomfortable with. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with it, and I prefer to live my life in a way that... Um, is who I really am and to drive away the people that would be uncomfortable. I don't want a lot of people live their lives in such a way that they want to appeal to all. That means they're going to draw in those people that they're not compatible with. I prefer to drive away the people that are not compatible with me and then I'm happier. Okay. Right. Well, um... Like your mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> you had to go there on a podcast. <laughs> um, moving down the list, the other way that you differ from mainstream permaculturists is in your views on community. Oh, right. Yeah. And we've made a few podcasts about that. And so, um, I, I, you know what? In fact, I think that the permaculture norm, the mainstream is, is that people talk about someday living in community, but they don't live in community. And um, I wish to make it perfectly clear. I want to live in a community and not the kind of community where it's a, like a collection of little huts. I want to live in a place where there's 20 people living in, under one roof, 20 people living very comfortably under one roof. And I think there can be some other buildings as part of the community, too, that are, you know, other other parts. But I, I like the idea. I, in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say I desperately want to live in community. And um, I've already been in community several times, and uh, uh, recently, not just like when I was in college, but, but recently. And um, uh, a lot of experimenting was done in order to try and figure out how to have a, a big doofus like me fit into a community scenario. And, um, and then my philosophies on how community functions have evolved a, a lot, and that has also deviated greatly from the norm. And, and a lot of that has to do with, rather than a consensus model, to have a, uh, an individual slash consensus slash uh, dictator 
Deer hybrid, and I've documented that out at Rich Soil and at Permies, um, and and it was something where it's 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 uh, like the dictator aspect is less than two percent. I I really I, I feel like this is the best way to go, um, which which is a big. I mean, I I think it's the way a lot of organizations actually function. But I'm sure that this is the first time it's ever been expressed this way, and and this is uh, and so naturally since it's the first time it's been expressed this way, it's 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 not the norm in, in the permaculture world. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, moving down the list, um, it's been my observation that when you are looking at building things or making things, that you use. Um, less paint or wood preservatives than even mainstream permaculturists. Yeah, I don't like to... I avoid paint as much as possible. I know that uh, in the Green Lake place, there were there were a couple of times when everybody who lived there was a permaculture person, and a lot of people wanted to paint their room and paint this and paint that. And um, uh, I I prefer um, not painting. Like uh, like when I build something new, how can I design it in such a way that none of the wood will ever need paint on it? Um, uh, or when I um, uh, uh, move into a place that could use a coat of paint, what can I do to make it so that it doesn't need paint so I can get by without any paint? Things of that nature. Uh, I, I, I just, yeah. Whereas in the meantime, I think the mainstream, it's like, uh, oh, yeah, we're all about eco and green, but, you know, we'll throw a coat of paint on that. Right. We have quite a few more on the list, but I think uh, some of them are related. So speaking of not using things, um, you also think that there shouldn't be, and I think this has to do with a nice way you have of looking at permaculture systems. Um, You're thinking that rain barrels shouldn't be needed and compost piles shouldn't be needed and I think sometimes that's different well okay one at, one at a time uh, um, rain barrels okay um, I do think that a lot of people when they start down permaculture road it seems like one of the things that they want to do first is to get a rain barrel going and um, uh, yeah I, I don't I, I think that the, the place to start is with hookah culture or you know other other ways of being able to grab the rain that comes down, um, and and so there's there's a place where I deviate from the norm. I I think that uh, most people who currently I, I think rain barrels are are an awesome solution for eight percent of the places that currently have rain barrels. Um, but you know, and a lot of people. Well, anyway, so that's where one place where I deviate from the norm. And then there's compost piles. Um, I have had so many compost piles. I've done a lot of composting, and I've got a whole podcast with Helen Atow talking about composting. And at the same time, my current philosophy for you know, this is like for a bigger property, is that you know, if you start to build a compost pile, you might be doing it wrong. And and that is that. Um, 
for anything that you might put into a compost pile, it it might be better to put it somewhere else. Right. Well, I I think the systems you're thinking about, a full farm ecosystem is, you know, kitchen waste goes to the chickens or the pigs. Um, the manure is just spread by the paddock shift systems, any other um, items are chop and drop where they are, or you just, you know, let the extra plant materials be mulch in different places. So so you're never building and creating a compost that needs to be maintained and turned and things like that, and then, you know, which means trekking everything to a pile, maintaining the pile, and then taking things out of the pile and dispersing them, you know, if it's just basically being composted in place with chop and drop and mulch and the manure just naturally being spread, it's just more efficient. Right, right. I I think that there are urban or suburban scenarios where a compost pile would make sense. But in in a rural environment, I, I uh, when, when I was last on the farm, we didn't have a compost pile because nothing. There was there were no materials to put into it. Right, um, and and that's the other piece you would like to do. You know, speaking of compost or amending the soil. Um, there's still a lot of permaculture that's going on that the people are trucking in a lot of outside inputs, and you'd rather have more land than outside inputs. Right. I mean, I think that there are a lot of different ways to do a lot of this stuff, and a lot of people, it's like the first thing they want to do is bring in loads of manure or loads of wood chips or something like that, and frankly, I would rather not have that material brought onto my land. I would I would rather just have more land and then you know, less production per acre, Um, you know, but then it's like, you know, you're doing it without any input. So I'd say uh, seeds, of course, you know, you're going to bring in a lot of seeds, you're going to be able to, um, you know, uh, grow grow a lot of organic matter rather than bringing in, I mean, patience would be a greater ingredient, you know, I guess would be part of the thing I'd want to do, rather than like, oh, I want instant gratification, so I'm going to bring in a three-foot-deep pile of wood chips. Um, I'd rather not do that. Well, part of what you're trying to avoid are some of the things that could be in the wood chips or in the manures and things like that, too. I think part of it is your goal for the least least toxic. Right. Because I, I think anything you bring in is going to have something in it. And, and I mean, like, you can do all kinds of things to try and say, okay, I, uh, it's, a, it's a, a 80 tons of llama manure, and we know that the llamas only ate purely organic grass. We, and, and, then the, and then here's how we know about this and that and the other thing. And then later you find out, oh, there was that one little thing, like how we wormed them, and it kills all your earthworms or, and a lot of your other microorganisms in the soil. Um, and it's like, uh, but you know, you find out about it after you've already imported it and spread it out and everything. I, I, I think that there's, in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that more than 95% of all the organic matter that's available out there is tainted with something, and and it's just, it's it's it requires so much. I know that I was at a, a, a permaculture event a couple of years ago, and they were doing something, and it's like, and look, we brought in these straw bales, we're going to have straw, we're going to put the straw down and stuff like that. So I went over and whispered into the the guy's ear that was running the show and I said, did you check to see if 
you know, that straw came from a field where it was ever treated with aminopyrrolid or clopyrrolid. And then he went, oh, and so then he didn't use the straw because he knows about that stuff, but he forgot to ask. And it's like, you know, wow, if you go and you put that on your growies and it turns out that it has enough in it, even if it doesn't ha- if it has enough in it, it'll kill everything. If it doesn't have enough in it, then it might just stunt things and then it'll take, it'll take years to get it out of your soil. Right. And we've talked about those before. I kind of wandered us off there. Um, so with your less outside inputs um, and, and finding, you know, more systematic ways to get these inputs to be feeding the systems that are feeding the systems, um, you, uh, we put on the list that you have a broader definition of permaculture than some people might accept. Oh, um, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of people that are going to say, you know, that, that what that guy's doing over there is not permaculture because he didn't sing the permaculture song. Is that what we're talking about? Right, right. I, I guess, um, you know... I, I think a lot of there's a lot of the um, lasagna or or um, gosh I can't talk what happened <laughs> so there's a lot of lasagna gardens that's considered permaculture a lot of using community resources like using lawn clippings or leaves from the park or using your neighbor's hay and you know some of that might be considered that's the ultimate in permaculture um, and the chicken tractors and things like that I would say that like for example chicken tractors is a great example I would say that if somebody is using a chicken tractor and then they say it's permaculture that I'm okay with that you know I I would not use a chicken tractor and um, uh, but I, I think that there are a lot of I think it's mainstream the main part of permaculture is is that people are going to point at other people and say that's not permaculture and um, and I think this kind of comes back to the wheat and eco scale wherever you are on the scale everybody behind you is fucking everything up you know and then everybody that's more than two levels ahead of you is crazy so it's like only the people that fit within where you are and are one or two steps ahead of you, only that is considered okay. So I'm, I'm, I want to be able to say that I think that there's um, – I want to be more accepting of what other people call permaculture and that I hope to embrace what other people call permaculture. And then I, I differentiate from that of what I would practice myself. Um, you know, and, I, and, and of course, my, my ongoing uh, quest to discover HUSP. Um, you know, but and I think that that's the point we're making is I think that the, that the norm in permaculture is to be exclusionary. You know, exclude people from permaculture and say that's not permaculture. And so they've excluded a lot of people have excluded Seth Holzer, for example, and or or other people when they saw the Bullock Brothers. Uh, farm and they saw some of their vegetables in rows and and not as much polyculture they've said that's not permaculture you know there's there is a lot there can be it can be you know stringent like that 
Right. And, and you know, um, I would have to say, and I, and I did say this, that day that, because that, they were saying, somebody pointed at this and said it wasn't permaculture. And so my response was, I could I could see why they would say that. Right. You know, but I, I, I would definitely say that what the Bullock Brothers is doing is permaculture. Right. You know, it's just that, uh, and even if they do grow it in rows, I think it's, I, I, you know, I think that there are people that are, I mean, if they're doing a step up from organic, then you know there's there's like got to be a thousand different flavors of doing a step up from organic, and that's you know permaculture level one, and they've got a ways to go still. Right, right. It's 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 a tough thing. It's such a big big open space of what permaculture is or isn't, and and you do get people that have more, you know. They're just more excited or more passionate about it, and they think it's got to be this, and and they're not as they don't have as broad a view or as an inclusive a view. Right. And I, there have been a lot of farms I've been to where they say they're doing permaculture, and I don't see it. But that doesn't mean that they're not doing permaculture. I mean, I think that it, I think it's important to be more inclusive than exclusive. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Um, Another thing that you've been passionate about that seems not to be as mainstream permaculture is planting trees from seed. True. So I'd say the main thing, most permaculture people will go out and, you know, either either start their own tree in their own nursery or whatever, or they'll go out and they'll buy a tree and transplant it. Whereas I prefer to start trees from seed. And then um, the fixed versus portable animal shelters. Yeah, I'm, I've, I used to have fixed shelters, and then I, I built lots of portable shelters, and then that was what I used exclusively. Um, and uh, um, I would just, but yeah, I'd say that the norm in the permaculture world is to still use fixed, still use fixed shelters, and then they have to muck them out. Um, I prefer to use a portable shelter, which you just you move it so often that it never needs to be mucked out. And along with that is animals harvesting their own food. I think that most permaculture people, when they have animals, that they go out and they buy feed. Uh, yeah, they buy feed. And and I far prefer a system or moving towards a system where uh, the animals self-harvest. All You grow all the feed, and you don't even harvest it. They self-harvest. You also had me put on the list keeping wildlife away, especially deer. So I, I do think that there's a place for wildlife in a permaculture system, um, and at the same time, it's like I've, I, it seems to me to be the norm in the permaculture world that people will try to raise a garden or they'll try to have a permaculture system, um, and yet you know they've got lots of deer, but it's like they want to have the deer uh, and have the wildlife, and at the same time have their edibles, which are quickly consumed, and then it just seems like normally. They end up giving. They just end up going to the grocery store. You know, they just let the deer have it. And um, my philosophy is a bit more um, 
asshole-ish, I guess. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to take steps to uh, keep the deer away, and um, I'll keep the coyotes away. I, I think a lot of times I'll, I'll come up with systems where I, I try to integrate wild birds into the system, um, you know, because I, I, well, for a variety of different reasons, but um, uh, it, it gets kind of complicated. But I, I do think that um, my philosophies in this space are different from most permaculture systems. Um, along with that are livestock guardian dogs. I rarely see somebody with chickens have, even rural, have a livestock guardian dog. And I'm a big fan of the livestock guardian dog. So therefore, I don't say that in this space, I am different from the, the permaculture norm. Next on the list is lawns. Most permaculture people, the the thing I hear them say is um, no more lawns. They want to get rid of lawns, uh, eliminate lawns. Uh, I I have uh, boy, I'm in a tiny minority on this one. I I think lawns have an important place in the permaculture world, and uh, it's it's the place where we have uh, our picnics. It's where our children play. It's where our yard sales are. It's where we have our potlucks. Um, it's it's like a, a yard is a wonderful thing, and and we can plant food, flowers, uh, in in our lawns. It can be so we can walk on it, and we can eat it, and and there can be flowers there, and there's all kinds of things. I mean, I prefer the idea of a mowable meadow over grass turf, but you know you get the idea. I, I think you know it's still a lawn, and and I think I think a lawn serves a function. Right, an outdoor room basically, uh, and then there's your Wofati design. Most people who are into eco building want straw bale uh, or cop. I don't see straw bale is the most popular answer I hear, and and I'm not a big fan of straw bale, um, but I've and I've come up with my own design, the Wofati. So yeah, I'm in the minority on that one. Six foot tall hugel culture. Um, those who actually go down hugel culture road tend to build something that's like two feet tall uh, or less. So they'll they'll dig down a foot and then have something that's a foot tall. And um, I'm a, I'm a powerful fan of the stuff that's six feet tall or taller. Transplants versus growing from seed. Oh, we already did this one. Oh no, wait. We talked about, we talked about it for trees, yeah. and and yet I feel this way about like tomatoes too. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I still get people who I've had some people now, and I've heard more and more of this, where people are talking about how they believe their transplants do better than the uh, the volunteers. Um, and uh, still doing research in this space, but I, I I do think that starting your tomatoes from seed outside is better, and and I think the same goes for anything um, uh, for any kind of garden plant. This is a, a little different nuance on what we've already talked about with some social justice issues, perhaps, but and about capitalism-type issues. Um, but it's this idea that everybody is equal. I'm not the same as everybody else. I mean, if... 
So, so just to be funny for a minute, I mean, I'm double the size of most other people. Just, I'm double the mass. I mean, I, I weigh 330 pounds. You know, I'm I'm enormous. So, um, uh, and then, <clears throat> uh, um, I don't know. There's got to be a thousand, fifteen hundred different permaculture websites, and um, mine's the biggest. <laughs> Um, so no, I, I don't. I, I think that uh, I, I don't think everybody's equal, and and I think that really the thing to do, like in community, I've mentioned this before. I think that you find twenty really different people and you bring them together, and then they work in harmony. But then if you brought twenty people together that were the same, I I think that probably wouldn't work out well. Um, you know, if ever if I had twenty people that were all like me, who's going to cook? <laughs> sure as hell not me. I mean, if we if it's me that's cooking, I think people are going to get tired of my cooking real fast. So, um, uh, I, I no, I, I think that there are some people that are um, uh, very skilled and knowledgeable and work really hard and do amazing things, and there are other people who um, are frankly useless, and yet. I'm supposedly equal to these useless people, um, you know. And I, I, I remember we were uh, came out of. A, I gave a presentation in Missoula one day, and there was like five people that were asking me questions afterwards. And this, and we mentioned uh, Skeeter at one point, and this kid on a skateboard. Hey, did you guys just talk about Skeeter? And. Um, so this guy proceeded to lecture us about how permaculture is awesome, but I don't think this guy had any idea what permaculture actually was. And and oh, one time I was at a meeting where we were talking about uh, it was a it was a gathering of people who were attempting to form a new community, and uh, so they wanted to go around the room, and everybody was going to say like, what was the thing that they would bring to the community? And a lot of people were like, I'm going to bring labor, and I'm going to bring labor, and I have skills in this space, and I have this, you know, and then we got this one guy he would not bring labor but what he would bring this guy was 19 years old here's what he's going to bring ideas he was going to be the big thinker for the group <laughs> this is what he brings to the group big thoughts and ideas and this guy you know he was all dressed up in goth and whatever else and 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 he looked like a fucking loser and uh, but this is what he's bringing to the community and so now i'm equal to this guy um no no i'm i'm not i'm not and and i respect that all of our votes count the same and i think that that's probably actually the best way to go about doing it on the other hand um I've I've had a lot of people want to be in this position of like you know hey how dare you speak that way you're not better than me yes I am better than you if you have to say that I am better than you because I don't feel the need to ever utter those words yeah yeah it's it's I don't I don't know if that's a particular issue with permaculture circles or what, you know, kind of more the hippie side of things where people just think, oh, it's all, we're all equal, we all get to, you know, have our little world where we all respect each other, and and it can get kind of crazy sometimes where people 
I, I think having respect for each other is a very good thing. Right. And, and you know what? I think that there's a lot of people that are better than me. And I think that there's a lot of people for different things are better than me. Right. And, and uh, you know, but, but I, uh, and, and for the most part, for most people out there, I'm no better than most people. And which is why I kind of amaze that people want to listen to this podcast. But, Hey, and I got people who want to listen to me on a podcast. How about that, huh? <laughs> right, right. Uh, but I, I, you know, it's it's complicated. It's not just a slam dunk. But it's like, right. no, there are. I mean, anytime anybody's like, you're not better than me. Almost every single time, my response is, yes, yes, I am. And and a lot of the way I live my life is I live my life based on my standards. And so based on my standards, I'm fucking awesome. But, yeah, based on somebody else's standards, I'm sure I suck. They probably think anybody who wears overalls every day is a loser. And so by their standards, I'm a loser, and I'm cool with that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the point is that you're much more comfortable um, just saying saying what you see and saying and pointing out differences and and being blunt about things and uh the blunt road is a very short road yes and there's a lot and, and the and, and the time i have left on this planet is short right so we're down to the last item on the list which isn't ne- you know is still kind of one or more of these people nuancey things but uh, and it also has to do with your forum management really it's about how you're skeptical about a lot of the truth type of things that um, other people will you know especially when oh. you get a group of like minded people they'll all bash Walmart or they'll all say, oh, CFLs, you know, you know, fluorescent light bulbs, those are the way to go. You know, that's the ego thing to do. Or, you know, you get this group mind and, 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 and people, you know, in permaculture can do the same thing. They get the group mind and, oh, this is the truth. This is the way to do it. And uh, you don't mind uh, I think deviating from that. And you quite often do deviate from some of those. I, yeah, I deviate from the deviation. Deviation uh, a lot, I guess, in that one. So yeah, the permaculture norm is is that there'll there'll be some item where everybody in the permaculture world seems rather aligned, and then I deviate from the rest of it. And I think a lot of this has to do with my engineering background and how I would be presented to teams of engineers, uh, teams of engineers, and um, they would have you know like like a dozen of them would all have a common direction and. Um, and yet they're thrashing, they're not getting their stuff done, things are broken. And basically they would make a lot of their decisions based upon what they've read out of trade magazines or what they, you know, information they've collected from the Internet or whatever. And a lot of times the information that they've collected was propaganda that was fed by the organization that's going to make money selling this shit. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like uh, they didn't have any information that doubted the word of the, the vendor. And um, so I would generally do an analysis to try and find out, like, okay, well, 
you know, does it really do as it's claimed? I mean, or, you know, even the time it takes to evaluate the product, could we have composed something on our own in that amount of time? And um, things like that. So I'm, I guess it's a skeptical kind of a thing. I'm, um, I mean, critical thinking, I think, is a big part of it. But without it, I mean, a lot of people just go with the flow. If you hear it from 20 other people, it's like, well, it must be true. Right. And I can hear from 20 other people, I suppose, and and assign a certain level of probability to it. But yet, you know, when it comes right down to it, I might go a different direction. Now, okay, so Walmart, you mentioned Walmart. And I think that that's a good example because in the permaculture mainstream and the most permaculture people there are like anti-Walmart. Walmart is bad. And my thinking is, is like, well, okay, um, you know, I've seen this stuff. I watched the, the 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 movie about Walmart and how bad Walmart is, and I've heard people talk about why Walmart is bad. But um, for all the items, for all the reasons why it's bad, it's kind of like, okay, well, have we taken these taken these tests and applied them to the alternatives? No. Well, then how do we know that the alternative is good, but Walmart is bad? Well, we don't know that, but we do know that Walmart is bad. And it's like my my own some simple speculation says probably the alternatives are equally bad, if not worse. And and so then you know I'm not saying Walmart is good, no, but Walmart is a symptom of the systems problems for which Walmart is a part, but the others are also suffering in the same way. So then, like what? You're going to not go to Walmart, but you are going to go to Target? But Target's got the same problems. Um, And only we haven't gone and evaluated Target about whether they pass or fail these tests. It it would be great if there was like a chart listing like a dozen organizations for which we might go and buy a widget and find out the widget sellers. And we've conducted these tests on all of these. And then that way we can find out where to go. Like when I go, if I buy gasoline... I always go to a 76 station or a Conoco. They're the same because at one point in time I read some analysis that showed, you know, that their criteria for how they do business falls within what I find to be comfortable. Now, later I might find other information that makes me change my mind, but for now I'm, I'll pay more to go to a place that I, I think is, is more aligned with my philosophies of what's good and decent. But at this moment, I have yet to see a comparative analysis for Walmart. It's it's all been like this one organization is bad. So it's like everything that I've heard that's anti-Walmart, I just kind of have this feeling like this information is brought to you by Target. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not comparative. It's, it's just a one-sided thing. So the math doesn't add up. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And yes, I uh, I tend to really turn off people in a lot of, I mean, they've got, if they're going to bring up 20 different things and I've got 12 of those 20 that I disagree with them, therefore I am unacceptable. Well, I, I think you're not afraid of strong opinions and you're not afraid of rational um, arguments and logical arguments about those opinions. And and we've talked about this before, that 95% of the population is probably of, of more social 
an emotional construct, and you're of the 5% that's more of an analytical, logical construct in your mind. And and so, so did 95% of the people, they just want to feel good about who they're hanging out with. They, they don't care as much about the facts and the analysis. <laughs> you know, so a conversation is about you know, the social exchange more than the information exchange. And I think, you know, this is a huge sweeping judgment, but there was something I read about this where they actually studied the population and there's like 5% that their minds work more like yours does. And so so I think that's a big part of it too. Um, now, now, now that's, yeah, that's your analysis. Mine's a little yeah. bit different yeah. in that space, but the numbers turn out to be exactly the same. Okay. But, but yeah, I like the way that you put it, but you're right because when people want to have a social moment with me, that's that's painful for me. I, I struggle. Yeah. I so struggle with small talk. I just can't do it. And if I'm sitting down with somebody, I need to talk about something of some substance and I need to be changing the world every minute. And and if somebody's gonna if somebody's gonna sit down and they wanna talk about I don't know, the weather? Like, oh, it wasn't this hot last year. Or their last trip to the mall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, I just yeah. have a hard time. But, yeah, most people take to it like a fish to water. Right. And I just really struggle. And um, and because of that, then I – and you're right. You're right. I turn off a lot of people just because I, I have that defect. Um, and American and obnoxious, you know, but <laughs> it's different. You know, you're not afraid to be blunt. You're not afraid to have opinions. You're not afraid to make money. You're not afraid to, um, you know, write about permaculture and share it with the world for right. free. Right, right. A lot of things that are very different, um, and and I think I think you're developing more and more people who like this sort of thing. <laughs> we did, <laughs> but. But seriously, you know, people that appreciate it, that it's that it's not about the singing and the dancing and that it's not, you know, that it is more about substance and and actual new ideas and ways to do things and not just lip service. So some of the permaculture, and there's a, re, there's a permaculture event that will be going on soon for which I've decided to opt out because I felt like... It was more of a social event. I just had this feeling that as they're putting it together, it's like, let's all get together and we'll just visit. And um, and I just kind of felt like, I just can't. I just... I just can't go. I, I need. I, I'm happy to go to an event where it's like we're going to have a, a an information exchange, and so there's going to be a lot of serious talk about a lot of serious topics, a lot of difficult topics, and let's hash through stuff. Let's move forward. Let's have some good forward velocity, you know. And um, I like that. I like that. But this this event that's going on here soon is not, doesn't seem like that. From what I've been able to to detect, it. it it seems more like um, dancing, uh, yoga, uh, visiting, uh, so, social justice stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
so you have a different focus, and I think we explained a lot of different um, areas of permaculture where you have a little different point of view and why it's different. And um, I meant to look up who originally asked that question, but I think we answered it quite thoroughly. In, in two podcasts. Yeah. 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 Whew. And, you know, what an awesome topic. We're talking about me. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yay. One of my favorite topics. Uh-oh. Maybe next time we'll talk about somebody else. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right. Anything else? I think we covered it. Okay. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about deviating from the norm, deviating from deviating from the norm, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Mm-hmm.